Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Lovecraft Country Chronicles, part of the Fan-Sided Podcast Network. Please welcome your hosts, Mia Johnson and Natalie Zamora. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lovecraft Country Chronicles podcast. My name is Natalie Zamora, and I'm joined today with my co-host... Hi, I'm Mia Johnson. And today we're doing another bonus episode with a very special guest. Today we have David, Dr. David Pilgrim. Hi, David. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to hear that you're also a Lovecraft Country uh, fan. I am. I watched, uh, I, well, first, when I got the invitation, I thought, well, I should probably watch the show. <laughs> and then I ended up watching uh, at all four shows at least twice and in one instance episode three i think i watched it four times oh my gosh i, I think you might have us be on that <laughs> yeah, i have to like go like i'll do one watch of the episode just normal and then i'll go back and i've told everyone i keep all these notes like it i have pages now of just the notes that i keep for one episode <laughs> so <laughs> but no yeah i think you've got us beat for sure yeah yeah, I think two is my two for each, two times. <laughs> um, but so for everyone listening, Dr. Pilgrim here is a public speaker, an author, and he's the founder of the Jim Crow Museum, which is located at the Ferris State University in Michigan. Um, so yeah, we just kind of wanted to do, we've been doing like these bonus episodes to kind of talk about the history behind Lovecraft Country and to discuss, you know, whether it's realistic or just for us to have a dis- discussion about what really happened back then, because I know some things I didn't even know and some things I feel like I didn't learn in school. So I think it's been really cool to just, you know, get get an expert in here to discuss what was really going on in real life. Well, thank you. I, I, I spend a disproportionate amount of my time thinking about the, the 1950s. <laughs> so I when I watch a show, of course, I'm, I'm asking myself, you know, is that accurate or not? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I guess we can just start with kind of more of a basic history of, you know, who or what was Jim Crow. And I know that it started as like a fictional character. So how did that, how did that start and who was it created by? Well, in 1828, a white actor, uh, Thomas Rice, uh, painted his face black got on stage, acted like a buffoon, called himself Jim Crow, adopted that as a stage persona. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wasn't the first person to dress in blackface, obviously. That had been done for hundreds and hundreds of years. Wasn't even the first to do it in the U.S., but he was the first to become famous for doing Mm -hmm. it. And uh, in addition to that, the song Jump Jim Crow came out, which became a national hit. So, you know, you figure 1828, by the mid-1830s, he is world famous. And what happens when people do something and it makes a lot of money and gains them fame is that they get a lot of imitators. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so in the, in the 1830s, you have the creation of what we would today call blackface minstrelsy. And the Jim Crow character was 
you know, uh, others were added to that. Uh, you had these large and elaborate stage performances, you know, but a really interesting question is at what point did Jim Crow stop being the name of a character in, you know, a buffoonish character on a stage dressed in blackface and become a synonym for the mistreatment of African Americans? Uh, I think most historians would say that happened like in the 1870s or 1880s, but quite frankly, mm -hmm. Frederick Douglass uh, in the 1840s uh, complained about having to ride the Jim Crow car. So we know sometime between the 1840s and the 1880s, the racial hierarchy in the U.S. that had whites at the top, blacks at the bottom, all the laws, the rules, the etiquette, um, Jim Crow became sort of a shorthand or a shortcut way of mm -hmm. saying, um, you know, of referencing the, the racial hierarchy. So this is going to be really boring until we get to the Lovecraft stuff. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, and then, so that turned into actual, right, like laws in the states that, um, were they laws like by the government or was it more so run written laws? Yeah, How so did it both, both. Um, and the laws would have existed no matter what they were called. Uh, it just so happens later, you know, the name Jim Crow stuck to those. But uh, if you go back even further um, into uh, the enslavement period, after that ended, you had this brief period called Reconstruction where black people were voting, they were, they were becoming judges, they were marrying whites, they were buying guns. In other words, they were scaring the hell out of white folks who had previously had a society the way they wanted it. And so you had um, uh, individual legal jurisdictions, often states, um, mm. and, and supported by the federal government, but often states that would uh, create new laws to reestablish white supremacy and white dominance. And certainly by the time you get to the early 1900s, you know, uh, the states have started, they, they are rewriting their constitutions because they really want to re-enslave black people and they want to do it legally. Mm. Mm. Um, and then what were, what were the most common of these segregation laws? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say if you could think of, a, of an interaction mm -hmm. that could occur between uh, white people and black people uh, that could imply in any way social equality, then there, there were laws which prohibited it. So, now, when we say social equality today, we have a hard time understanding that those were fighting words. Those were get, getting yourself killed words. Mm. Uh, so if you did, if you started preaching, for example, I'm for social equality, uh, you took your life in your hands. Uh, so now think about it. So what, what could we be doing that would imply that we are socially and culturally equal? Well, playing checkers. Mm -hmm. So a place like Birmingham would uh, did outlaw blacks and whites playing checkers. Uh, being uh, born in the same wing of a hospital. Again, that implies that we're equal. Being buried in the same cemetery. I mean, when I grew up in, in Pritchard in Mobile, Alabama, we still had black cemeteries or colored cemeteries mm -hmm. and white cemeteries. Um, and so many of these were laws, but a lot of them were just customs. 
mm-hmm. and either could have gotten you killed. Uh, so I guess, you know, I think Lovecraft, notice how I'm just trying to get us to that show. <laughs> yeah. uh, L- Lovecraft, uh, I think, is like 1955. And so right. if you think about 1955, that's the same year that um, Claudette Colvin, uh, a 15-year-old African-American girl, decided to not give her her seat on a bus. Buses were segregated, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Now, later in that year, in December, we have the more famous instance of Rosa Parks, uh, who refused to give up her seat. The point is, is that anything that we could have done, uh, either in law or through code or through custom, uh, was enforced. So up north, uh, a lot of times you did not have the, the you did not have the you did not have Jim Crow codified in law, but it doesn't mean it wasn't real. Mm. Uh, you still you you know it, it, in some cases it was as real. And you were just expect, expected to know and to understand, for example, that I could not light the cigarette of a white woman because mm-hmm. that implied equality. I could not show pity because that implied that I was superior to the other person. I could not try on clothing because that meant that our bodies had both touched the same clothes, right? And that, that's a kind of int- intimacy. We could not play certain sports because that, because that meant that our bodies right. touched. And of course, that's yeah. all silly because you look at most black people in this country and you know someone hopped the fence. <laughs> hey, you guys got that. That was good. <laughs> I was wondering, so when you, it comes to all of these, I don't know if you want to call them rules or, or you know, um, how are these, you know, taught? Like, I, I'm assuming, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's really just, Kind of like how we have today a family conversation, right? You mm-hmm. tell your son or daughter, you know, mm-hmm. be careful when you talk to the police, you know, mm-hmm. don't, you know, speed or don't try to go out at night and look, you know, all these sorts of things. So would this have been the same, you know, back when um, in the Jim Crow era? Absolutely. And as you were asking the question, I was thinking, uh, you know, we still have the talk, but the talk used to be uh, uh, a little different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also learn through watching. Right. So, you know, I grew up at the end of I was born in Harlem, but I grew up in Mobile, Alabama at the the last days of of Jim Crow. And I mean, you're a child. You know that you live in a neighborhood where everybody's black and brown. And you, of course, I did. I couldn't help but know because that was when school integration started. And so there were all the racial fights. Mm -hmm. uh, And every time you turn the TV on. You know, that was just this this racial rant in the country. Uh, Governor George Wallace, he's the one who stood in front of the um, the the uh, the school built uh, University of Alabama and said segregation today, segregation forever. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So in that sense, if you were just alert, you saw. But in terms of of, you know, I think about someone living in Chicago. They they probably come up through the great migration. So they likely came from Alabama, more likely Mississippi. They had left the rural South and they were coming to the urban North. Uh, And, um, you know, and they lived in a, you know, a a black area. Uh, They read black newspapers like the Chicago Defender. They Mm -hmm. attended a black church. They played on black teams and all. So they lived in a black world. 
And in that black world, people talked. I mean, people talked when I was little, people were very direct. Um, I could tell you an awful story, but it takes too long. So I'll just leave it to your, your imagination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, and I, okay, you got to well, make me tell the awful story. Oh gosh. <laughs> you know, what? Right, let me just it, tell yeah, you, let me give you a short version of it. When I was okay. like nine or 10, I would sit <laughs> and listen to, uh, older African-American men just talking about life. They, they, mm-hmm. they called it lying, right. But they meant storytelling. And they would just talk about sports or politics, whatever. And so one day they told the story of Cleotus Threadgill. And he was an African-American in the 1950s, around the same time, uh, working for a white man, uh, picking pecans, uh, got cheated and complained uh, about being cheated and uh, ended up having to get in his old beat up car uh, and try to run for his life. His car stopped. And he was being chased by um, a, a group of angry whites who meant him harm. They, they were going to harm him. And when he got out of his car, he started running. They started chasing. They could not catch him. So they lynched his car. Oh, and what? now when you're nine, you don't know that's an urban legend. You don't know that that's, that didn't actually happen like that. But when you get older, you understand that that was those older black men uh, using story to warn uh, younger black and brown men that you need to be careful in your dealings with white people. Wow. (laughs) Um, And then I feel like the, you kind of touched upon this, but I feel like it's always a misconception that people think, you know, like, oh, this only happened in the South. The mm-hmm. North was all good. And I mean, that's something even sometimes I think like, oh, the North wasn't as bad. But I mean, was it was it exactly the same with the Jim Crow laws or was it a little bit better in the North? I'm honestly, I'm not really sure. No, that's a great question. I mean, we get that all the time in the Jim Crow Museum because people ask, so why is this museum in Big Rapids, Michigan? instead of Biloxi, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And so that's another question, but to answer yours, of course there were Jim Crow practices in the North. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in some cases, Southerners, you know, they exchanged uh, a a life of rural poverty uh, for a life of urban poverty. Uh, I think it is the case, you were much more likely to be lynched down South, uh, Mm -hmm. to be the victim of racial terrorism but, but even that occurred in the North. And so when we look at what's called the Red Summer of 1919, which in my opinion was a, uh, a, a racial war. I don't know why people won't call it that. It was a racial war in the U.S. in that summer because in, in, in uh, mm. more than two dozen, almost three dozen American cities, blacks and whites fought in the street often with Black people as the victims were just blood. That's what's called Red Summer. Just blood ran in the streets. Mm. Well, one of the most um, heinous, or one of the most uh, 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 troubling, I can't even think of the right word here, one of the worst ones, let's just yeah. say that, occurred in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, And another one occurred in Washington, D.C. So racial terrorism could occur in the North, and it sometimes did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And well, I guess yeah, we we will get to the Lovecraft discussion and <laughs> and just just a couple more questions. But yeah, that that was kind of the surprising thing about Lovecraft, which I would say surprising for some, maybe not so surprising for most, is that 
basically the most the majority of this takes place in the north it takes place in chicago it takes place in massachusetts and that's Mm -hmm. where we're seeing you know um these you know events happen um so yeah like i said we'll we'll discuss that more later but (laughs) it's something to bring up well you know what we used to call uh when i grew up in alabama the southern people in african-american communities often refer to chicago as up south And if you think about it, that makes sense. Now, sometimes mm-hmm. it was broader than that. It also meant Philly and Buffalo, but it always mm-hmm. meant Chicago. And part of that was because, that, again, the Great Migration, where hundreds of thousands of Southern Black people in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, where they left, you know, the, just a horrific, you know, the, the poverty, yeah. um, the peonage, you know, the the just the lack of opportunities and they went north and and west so they went to california or they went to chicago yeah yeah i'm up in chicago now and pretty much you know all of my i grew up on the south side like where the the show takes place all of my you know friends in our you know who are are black all of our grandparents are like either from mississippi or they're from alabama so we always feel like we have that you know even though we're not family, it always kind of, you know, feels like family because we come from the same place. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's definitely there. And I, I sometimes do think about, you know, like what if my grandma didn't <laughs> leave Mississippi or what if my yeah. grandma didn't leave Louisiana? But I do see that they've made a beautiful life for themselves mm-hmm. up here. Mm-hmm. And they now it's been passed down to me and I can have a wonderful <laughs> life. Too. <laughs> No offense to the South, I'm sure you know, they're still <laughs> they're still trucking along. <laughs> well, there's sometimes uh, we've had a few periods where you've actually had reverse migration, and mm-hmm. you started. Uh, I think this began in the '80s, um, but where you have uh, people like yourself or your parents who actually mm-hmm. return to the South yeah. because they believe that that uh, that there's a new South. And, and of course, there are things, you know, like there, there are quite a few African-American politicians down south, yeah. uh, a lot of African-Americans who own their own business, uh, a lot who, you know, want to own uh, property. You know, it's generally cheaper, including uh, farms. So there, yeah. there are some reasons to, you know, to go back. But it's red yeah. for a reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, will, I, I would go on a tangent about Illinois taxes. I, I do know a lot of people, uh, the, just a generation uh, before me moving to Texas. Some, I think my generation likes to, uh, to move to Atlanta. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a whole, you know, a whole nother problem with the economy and those sorts of mm-hmm. things. Um, so I guess we can get into Lovecraft Country now. But I do want to go back after to talk about the Jim Crow Museum because we definitely have questions about oh, yeah. that. Um, but we can get into Lovecraft Country. So um, the first thing I wanted to discuss was we actually did an episode about the history of Sundown Towns um, mm-hmm. because that was a big part of, I think, the second episode. Um, mm-hmm. And it was when, if uh, listeners don't remember, it was when uh, Atticus and Letitia and George are going to um, find Montrose and they go through, a, I think it was a sundown county, right? Not just a town. Yeah. And and the police officer, you know, is harassing them, being terrible. And he's like, you have seven minutes to get out. And they're like racing the clock. And it's like terrifying. Just you're at the edge of your seat. And, um, you know, I think like Atticus was sticking up for himself. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like 
you got to go or you you something bad's going to happen. You're going to die or something terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel like that scene was accurate or what did you think of it? So when I saw that, uh, my first thought was it was it was it was a little dramatic mm-hmm. um, because um, if, if you read now, I, I have a colleague, James Lowen, mm-hmm. who wrote the book Sundown Towns. Mm-hmm. And he actually made some amazing claims like he claimed and he's from Illinois. Mm-hmm. And so he claimed that there were over 500 sundown towns in Illinois. Oh wow! Uh, and so then that begs the question, well, what do you really mean by sundown town? Is it really a place where the where the police officer is like clocking you, uh, you know, and he's watching the clock? And if you don't get out of there right at that time, He's going to mm-hmm. kill you. Is that the kind of thing? Um, and the answer is probably no. So that that felt a little dramatic. Mm-hmm. But the real answer is worse than that. Yeah. Because the real answer is, is that black people were driven out of many communities across this country mm-hmm. where, where they weren't allowed to live. So it's not just that, you know, if the sun catches you there, but but through acts of violence, uh, for many decades, black people were driven out of communities. Uh, in some instances, uh, a, a small number of black people would be allowed to come and, um, you know, like shop or more likely to work as mm-hmm. a servant. But they were expected to leave. And if they did not leave, not just the police, but uh, any white person might think that it would be, you know, that, that, that they could get away with hurting them in some way. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, like I said, the whole thing about, you know, you got 20 seconds. Right now, again, that could have occurred. But mm-hmm. I think the real message is even worse than that. And that mm-hmm. is, like I said, the, the violence that it took to drive uh, black people out of their homes, out of their mm-hmm. neighborhoods to create all white towns. Um, and I, I, I don't know if uh, there was a young reporter, uh, 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 Logan Jaffe is her name. Actually, she's from Chicago, but she did some work with the Times. Um, she uh, has spent some time working with the Jim Crow Museum, but she also worked with James Lowen, who wrote okay. the book Sundown Towns. And she went to one of them. Um, it's called Anna. And I'm not going to yeah. spell out what it is. Yeah, but, we discussed know, this yeah, in the last podcast. Yeah. yeah, but she, um, you know, she went there and she, and this is like last year. Mm-hmm. So not 1955. Right. And what she basically had, she kept running across people who who not only understood that city's reputation, but supported it. Now, there were a few who were like embarrassed by that past. But what she found was in its present, there were people who supported the fact that you don't see black people there. Jeez, that's terrifying. It is terrifying. <laughs> you know, like here, the thing I and, and I, I know a lot of people have probably said this, so this is not something deep. But when I first started watching it, I was like, OK, so there's monsters mm-hmm. and then there's the real monsters that are humans. Yeah. And it's kind of like when you watch like The Walking Dead and you worried about zombies <laughs> and what you need to be worried about is this person who's still alive. Yeah. And and so much in the Jim Crow Museum is about us documenting the atrocities 
So for example, we have um, collected stories about white people using the skin uh, of black people as leather products. So to oh, make uh, wallets, belts, purses, razor straps. And I, I write about this in my books and I give the, the newspapers where they report on these things in a matter of fact way. I mean, it's, they're not mm -hmm. condemning it. They're not justifying it. They're just reporting it, right? Uh, in a matter of fact, well, that's, that to me is not only ghoulish, and ghastly, but it's as scary as whatever the hell you call those weird-looking things in the forest yeah. when, the, when the sheriff had them pinned down. Yeah, totally. So I guess then another big part um, that Letitia has to go through is, you know, she moves into the white neighborhood. And I mean, I guess legally she's allowed to live there, but it, she obviously does not feel welcome. She feels very unsafe. Nobody really wants to go there anymore because of how the white people, how her white neighbors are treating her and everyone that's there. Um, I was wondering, like, where... So, obviously, she does not want to go to the cops with this. There's there's no point. The cops are white mm -hmm. and they're corrupt and they're the same. What would, what would a black person do in that situation? Was it more, like, band together or just not move there at all? Or, like, could they get help from anyone? Well, I think the... the, um, the uh, again, I love the way you phrase that. Because, yes, one of the things you do was you did was to not move there. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so, uh, like her sister says, well, you, she starts telling her about a previous case. Yeah. Right? Well, if you grew up in an African-American community in Chicago, Detroit, wherever, you knew when there were cases. I, I'm, it's like when Malcolm X's uh, family moved outside in, in, the, in the Lansing area. Same thing happened, right? Uh, maybe... Uh, well, again, it wouldn't have been that different in, in terms of the time span. Black mm. people fought back. I mean, mm. uh, black people protested. They tried to protect their homes. Uh, and then, of course, you had organizations and um, groups like the NAACP, uh, the New Negro Alliance, uh, mm. the Southern Christian League. I mean, we often associate the, them with the South, but mm -hmm. a lot of their victories actually came in the North and mm. because they were freer to protest probably. Mm. So right. you did have, you did have, you know, organizations always. Uh, and I mean, by that early on, uh, you had organizations that we would today call civil rights or human rights organizations. Mm. But, you know, it's sad to say, but the, the safest thing would have been to stay in, in, in your community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I would be doing, being yeah. ter terrified. Like, no, well, I'm good. Go ahead. Remember when I mentioned the, the 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 race war riot, whatever you want to call it, in 1919 yeah. in Chicago? That started at a beach, and this is deep, right? If you think about it, it's one thing to segregate land, mm -hmm. but the segregation line actually extended into the water. And mm -hmm. so uh, you had an understanding that this is the black side of the beach and this is the white side of the beach. And a black, a, a black male ended up on the imaginary white side of the water. Oh, I mean, God. just think about that. He's out in the water and he yeah. goes over too far. And someone hit him with a stone likely and he drowned. Oh. And it started uh, um, a situation where for a couple of days it was just whites hunting down blacks and killing them in the streets and then blacks fighting back and killing whites. And 
that's a town that did not have legal segregation. Uh, I find it very interesting mm -hmm. that in the aftermath of this, quote, war in Chicago, that there were calls by some of the uh, local politicians to, to put into place Jim Crow regulations wow. so people would, quote, uh, know which side they belong on. Wow. I didn't even know that. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, and then I guess that goes hand in hand, the thing banding together, sticking together and, you know, forming these organizations. It's like um, with George and Hippolyta, they have they both uh, do research for the travel guide that they work on. And I know that's probably based on the real life green book. Right. Yeah. Um, so is that something that was really really helpful um for people of color um i know that of course in the show they had it and they still almost were in yeah. huge danger um so i guess just like how effective was it for people of color outside of their segregated areas well it was helpful yeah uh, but i think the message there is that people move businesses mm -hmm. close yeah and that if you if you are the one writing it you're really going off of, of uh, secondhand, thirdhand information. Mm -hmm. And so part of your travels are to go and validate, uh, you know, uh, what you've been told. And so sometimes you may have just gotten wrong information. Yeah. You know, and then you end up in, and you, you're, you're like, okay, this, I need to, uh, I don't want to quote her, uh, but, but uh, in a, in a, in her rather dramatic language, we need to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but those books were very useful. I mean, oftentimes there were no hotels, including right. the North, but there would be a rooming house or someone, I don't even know what you call this, when it's not a rooming house, but you rent out a room. Mm, uh, so yeah. it's almost like you, you know, kind of like a bed and breakfast where mm -hmm. it's your home and you, but you only do one person at a time. And so how, how would you know that unless you yeah. had kind yeah. of guy? How did it, you guys um, up in Michigan have Idlewild, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what is the history behind that? Was there any connection? Well, first of all, don't go see that movie. It's awful uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in terms of being accurate. Uh, there is no connection with us, although I have worked over the years to help them reclaim their mm. history. Uh, because at one point, um, you know, it really was as I hate to use the term like safe haven, but it was mm -hmm. safe ish mm -hmm. yeah. uh, for a place for black people uh, with some money uh, or some connections where they could come enjoy, you know, being on the lakes or, you know, uh, doing the things that people do, you know, fishing and swimming. And and it had a, a although the movie got the over dramatized this, but, you know, had a fairly uh lively nightlife and that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you'd have, you know, pretty much every black celebrity came through there. Uh, it would kind of break your heart now to go through there. Um, certainly would have 10 years ago where it's just, it was just beaten down and run down. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's, I don't know, 30, 40 miles from here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I was watching a, um, documentary. It was kind of a, a local PBS documentary about different vacation spots around Chicago. And then Idlewild was one of them, which I was like, oh, I, there was a lot of things I didn't know about just the history and all that. It's like, I wish, you know, it was still something that maybe like our family went to or something. One of the great pictures, I, 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 I can't find it, but it's in my head. 
it's a picture of W.B. Du Bois with short pants on. <laughs> and he looks like a bird watcher, like the old time bird watchers. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that, it, it, you know, I guess, I mean, he was a scholar, whatever that means. And I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to feed into stereotypes with his attire, <laughs> but it's, it was just funny, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, because you see like, uh, uh, you know, Joe Lewis or, you know, some of the, the, the entertainers, you know, the, the, the sort of the early band leaders, you know, come there to relax and, uh, and eat ice cream at the famous ice cream place and all, but yeah. it's just something weird about seeing, you know, uh, this radical black agitator with his, uh, outfit on <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a different side yeah <laughs> um and david just in general do you have any favorite parts of the show um just oh, yeah any favorite characters favorite scenes that's what you yeah, usually so we my, always talk about my favorite um well, it depends on what you mean by favorite <laughs> um the scene that shook me if that oh yeah that, now keep in mind i one of my first favorite movies was um, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Nice. Because if you're a young person of color, a male down south, to see this black guy mm-hmm. being the not just a protagonist, but a kick-ass protagonist. Yeah. yeah. That if you hit him, he hits you back. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was just awesome for me. And, of course, being totally heartbroken and angry actually angry at Mm. the end Mm -hmm. of that movie so like that's sort of my backstory with that knowing that i i really loved uh get out Mm, yeah i just thought okay finally we we're gonna tell horror in a kind of different way so so having said that this might make sense to you the scene when they're in the basement and it's basically uh, uh, it's a kind of seance where, where the ghost of the people join hands with her yeah, mm-hmm. and she's yelling. I have, I just got goosebumps again, just yeah. saying that. And, and I don't, I didn't know her much as an, as an act actress, but mm-hmm. the power, the, the, uh, and then when she says, you know, get the whatever out of my house, it was so, mm-hmm. and then when they started singing, the uh what we down south would just call church songs but what everybody else would call old negro spirituals or you know satan we're gonna tell you i mean it was so powerful right yeah uh and it made me think about you know you often hear that religion uh has um enslaved black people or that it's been used to placate black people but the other side of that is is that like, like in 12 Years a Slave where Solomon, uh, he kind of mm. gives in and just starts praying, right? Because mm. he's a way mm. out. But in this case, you, you see what I grew up with, which is uh, uh, religion, the power of it to unite people and to unite them for social justice. Again, mm. I know she's just trying to get that out of the house, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but he symbolized not just the white oppression of people, but but a white person destroying black bodies. And so the bodies are mutilated. They're not mm-hmm. even all there mm-hmm. uh, because he has deformed the body through his torture. Right. And so there it's showing this powerful black woman, this strong woman and with a religious backdrop, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, coming. To, it was just it was powerful. 
for me. Yeah. So, and then you and then you start going too far. And this is one thing I noticed with shows because you go off a deep end and you start making. <laughs> yeah. And then the people, the people that write them are like, that's not what we meant. You know what I mean? But <laughs> it, it just gets in your head. But the thing that got me with that scene was I started thinking about the civil rights movement and the protests and all. I don't think it's an accident that they were in churches. I don't mm-hmm. think it's an accident that a lot of the leaders were ministers. And I also know it wasn't an accident that there were many instances where churches were bombed. Mm. And so when I see the, so the religious thing, it just, again, maybe that's not the point they wanted me to get from that, but I just, Mm -hmm. it's just this powerful unity. And the reason I'm making a religious connection is because of the sound, the the song that was being heard as that was going on. So that was probably my, um, well, no, without a doubt, that was my favorite. I like the little things like, uh, you know, referencing Martin Luther King's name as Michael. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I wonder if someone really would have known that, you know, at a party in, in 55. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing with him dating. And he didn't just date a white woman. They were in love. Uh, and it is true that they were told that you cannot be this person that's in your mm-hmm. head that you want to be. Uh, yeah. with her as your wife in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, again, I'm not sure people at a party would have known that, mm-hmm. but I appreciated the historical reference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. My least favorite, uh, <laughs> which you did not ask. Uh, <laughs> Let's hear it. First of all, the episode four, I, you, it had this Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> yes. And yes. then I just didn't get the whole... Um, what, what do you call the person, uh, you know, Native American tradition had made a place for people who were uh, intersex. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if it was referencing that. Uh, so that is that one part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't trust, uh, what's, what's his father's name? Uh, Montrose. Yeah, I'm not a big Montrose fan. I just have to go there. <laughs> Neither yeah. are we right now. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So we're, we're on the same page with that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that, that, that episode was my least favorite. And the way that person was treated was yeah. found repulsive. Um, so. Yeah, that was the biggest complaint. And like by far, not even just for that episode, but by far, I think people were really on board with the show until they were like, but they just, you know, straight up slaughtered an indigenous, you know, person. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people Uh, are mad about that for sure. Yeah. And I'm like, not to spoil the next episode, but then even the way they handle it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I, so I, won't, I won't say anything. Well, they'll, they'll get into that on Sunday. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see, even if they have anything to say about that, because that's been a pretty huge criticism. Well, the yeah. thing that I can't understand, and again, I haven't seen these. Um, I mean, you guys have the big passes. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just a brother trying to get by in this world. Uh, <laughs> But this is 1955, and you're four episodes in, and I can't imagine Emmett Till has not been a part of the storyline. That yeah. blew my That when that 14 year old boy, and, and you've seen the pictures of what of his face, right? He was mm-hmm. to a point where you can't even recognize that he had been a person, mm-hmm. and his mother, of course, in an act of amazing bravery and courage 
had the casket open. That case became a, a, a cause celeb for the civil rights movement. Yeah. And, and you know, the fact of the matter is, um, I just forgot her name, the, um, the woman who claimed that uh, he had either whistled at her or he uh, had, uh, uh, Carolyn Bryant was her name. Okay. Mm-hmm. And before she died, apparently she recanted. Right. Yeah. That he hadn't. Oh, yeah. I mean, so if you're going to make a movie about race and about monstrous behavior, about ghoulish behavior, and it's connected with civil rights and it's located in Chicago, and he was a Chicago kid who went down south, and you're trying to show the links. I mean, it just, uh, so I'm assuming for those of you that have seen the next four episodes that he better be in there. Didn't was it our last guest who yeah. was talking about there seemed to be an Easter egg when in episode three when the children mm-hmm. were doing the uh, the Ouija board yeah and I think what what it it was like he had asked how is my trip going to go or, or how's oh. my trip down south yeah Which that to me and that was really really slight it I, was I definitely tiny. didn't catch that. Yeah, wow. somebody put on Twitter like a side by side of uh, the character in the show and him in real life, and it was like they were wearing similar outfits okay. with like mm. um, I forget what kind of shirt it was, but it was like very similar. So then people on Twitter were just like, "Oh my gosh, that's Emmett Till! Like that has to be him." Okay. Right. Um, but it was okay, not I explicit. I take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't explicit though, and yeah. I, I mean, I can't say for sure because I haven't watched the rest, but I mean, uh, I read the book and I don't think it's going to be a thing. But I mean, it would be it would be interesting for them to bring it back and kind of make it a little bit more explicit, even if they don't follow his whole storyline. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think I feel like there's a lot of like small, small references like that that yeah. I've only realized because of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, have to- I like the word. I like the word pioneer. I don't know if you noticed they use that quite a bit. Mm. And if you were an African-American in the 1950s, 1940s, 1950s, 60s, even 70s, you were often the first one. Yeah. Uh, and so you're the first one to move into a neighborhood, the first one to become department head at some college, the first one to preach at this church, whatever, the first one to work at, uh, what's the the, the um, clothing store uh, she was trying to work oh, the at? the Marshall uh, Fields. Marshall Fields, you're the first. <laughs> And I distinctly remember this growing up down south. People would say, oh, he's got he he's the pioneer mm-hmm. or that family. They are the first ones to live on the west side of Mobile. They, they were pioneers, which which actually was a term of um, of respect. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. it did. It didn't mean you were the first one who could do it. It just meant you were the first one allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. It's like so. And that's a huge difference. So when I see like first African-American woman astronaut, she's not the first who could do it. She's the first who was allowed to do it. But there's still respect that goes to a person who yeah. has to pave, that has to pave the way, you know, for the ones that come after. It. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, OK, so let's talk about the Jim Crow Museum a little bit, just because I find it we need to talk about it because it's definitely just awesome. And I mean, I sadly have not been there, but now I really want to go um, okay. whenever I can travel. Um, but so can you just tell us a little bit? How did you come up with the idea to create a museum, the racist memorabilia? And 
Can you provide some examples of, you know, the biggest pieces or the, I don't want to say most popular, but ones that people know that you have kind of thing? Well, uh, first, I'd like to invite you to yeah. uh, do a virtual tour. Okay. We have those. So, uh, and then if you're ever in town, yeah. of course, it would be my pleasure to, to, to show you around. Uh, I grew, I was born in Harlem, but from the age of one, mm -hmm. got reared down south in Mobile, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And when I was 11 or 12 or so, I uh, went to a sort of a hybrid carnival flea market, whatever. And a guy had a table where he was selling like the little Anchimama salt and pepper shakers. Yes. Um, and I bought it uh, and broke it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a philosophical thing. Uh, I just didn't like it. I don't remember the second piece or the third, uh, but I just remember uh, after that, always having it. And so mm -hmm. uh, in those days, you would find anti-black caricatured objects in black people's homes, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I, I had a small collection. Uh, I eventually, I went to a, a, um, an integrated, because we integrated it, uh, uh, junior high, but my high school was all black. And then I went to Jarvis Christian College, a historically black college out in Hawkins, Texas. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, you know, really started to understand what Jim Crow was, and, um, you know, I had a couple teachers who used objects, like one used the chauffeur's cap uh, as a teaching tool to show us how black people, uh, black men travel with a chauffeur's cap. So in case they were pulled over, uh, they would, they could say, this is not my car. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not a threat to you. Mm -hmm. I know my place. I, this is some white guy's car. And when, when, when that, you know, sometimes you get a lesson that, that when you learn it, you know, even when you're learning it, that this is going to change your life. And that changed my life because I thought, well, if he can use that cap to teach that lesson, then yeah. my growing collection, they should be, it should be fairly easy. So mm -hmm. from the start, I wanted to, um, to just collect the objects that had been in people's homes, not right wing sort of domestic terrorist objects like the Klan and some of those groups, but right but just the objects that you'd find in anyone's home. And so I eventually got up to like, uh, I don't know, like 3,500 objects. I was teaching wow. sociology at Ferris at the time mm -hmm. and uh, struck a deal with the school that they would allow uh, me some space. And at the time it wasn't much, it was 500 square feet, <laughs> but it was enough to bring my class, I was a sociologist, so I could bring my students in and we could mm -hmm. talk and I'd ask them, so when you see this object, what is it you see? And what is it you see? And so we used them to facilitate discussions about race, race relations, and racism. And um, so long story short, in 2012, um, you know, we moved into a bigger place. Now, we actually are getting so many pieces these days. We're getting thousands of pieces oh, wow. each year from the public that we are now looking to move again. And by the way, you both look exceptionally wealthy. And so what I would say to the both of you is <laughs> that our our motto is no, ch no check is too large. And so, yeah, but I'm joking, sort of. In, anyway, the point, is, <laughs> the point is, is that we are planning on moving into a, a standalone facility and wow. become a national place. But the, the, the piece that affected me the most yeah. was a 1920, I think it was a 1921, and it was a softly caricatured African-American child, and he's sucking on an ink. It's, it's as if he's drinking from an ink uh, bottle. Mm. 
Mm. And the bottom of it has the N-word and and milk. And uh, it just messed with my head. Um, My favorite piece, if you would, is an ink pen that President Johnson used to sign the uh, 1968 uh, Voting Rights Act, I think. Uh, we thought it was for something else, but now we've got more it, more imagery. But it was mm-hmm. it was signed by the president, so uh, in effect, ending Jim Crow. Uh, okay. For us, this is not a racial shrine. We right. are doc- we are documenting what happened. Yeah, because Americans Americans like happy history. Yeah, you know narratives that make us look smart, brave, and exceptional. Yeah. And so we cherry pick throughout all the other history, and we don't look at the history of how we victimize people that were disfavored. And so again, our point is, is, is to use the objects to document what happened and, and as fodder for discussions on where we should go today. So we were talking about Aunt Mama 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well then how can, if, you know, if you're looking for some support <laughs> to be moved <laughs> into your next uh, facility, how can folks out there support you? Well, they can visit our site. And uh, again, we've been a free resource to the world. We have hundreds of high schools and um, uh, civil rights groups, human rights groups that, um, that use our, our, our videos, our course syllabi, you mm-hmm. know, people come there, you know, if they want to help us, they can. If not, the main thing is, is that they, is, is, is that they use the stuff we're creating in order to make this be a, a, a better world. So yeah. I do want to get this in. We, 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 we now also collect objects that defame other groups because okay. we want to teach those lessons. And the next hope is to build a sexism museum. Mm. Uh, but we have also objects on LGBTQ, on poor people, on people from Mexico, uh, uh, just any number of groups. So I wanted to get that in. Secondly, what I wanted to get in was that, um, you know, I'm hearing a level of of racial rhetoric in this country that I heard when I was in Alabama during the Jim Crow period. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I don't know any way other than that to say it. So I'm so proud of the young people in this country uh, with this new social justice movement set off by the horrific murder of, of George Floyd. I don't think young people are putting up with it. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm glad they're not putting up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it always is just like, you know, history repeats itself. So if we're not going to learn the ugly truth of it all, then people it's just we need to know. Like, it's very yeah. important. And especially for people of color. And I mean, Jewish people, people that have mm-hmm. these terrible things have happened to. I mean, they have the right to know it and wear it. And, you know, just everyone get better from our ancestors' mistakes, honestly. Well, and, and even though we call the Jim Crow Museum, we collect objects that were made a week ago. Mm-hmm. Or objects that were made two weeks wow. ago. And we have a whole sec- section on objects that belittle and mocked President Obama, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because wow. a lot of times it's the same Jim Crow imagery that you would have found in the 1950s, 60s, or 70s. Wow. And we also collect objects that show Black people pushing back it through mm-hmm. art, through their accomplishments, because that's the other part of the story. So uh, it's a people that would not be crushed. Jeez. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Well, um, to anyone listening, yeah, please support the Jim Crow uh, museum and um, if you have any questions for us please 
tweet at us or leave us a good review on our Apple podcast and we'll get back to you. I know we got some a few really good questions on Twitter um, about the latest episode. So I think we'll address those in our recap in our next recap episode. But yeah, any questions that you have, send them our way. And um, do you have any less last thoughts, David? Or, or any, any encouraging? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that too. Yeah, anything? I, I do want to be encouraging. And mm-hmm. I, I touched on this just a little bit, and that is when, when I first got the phone call saying that, um, you know, the Anchamama logo yeah. was, was, you know, they was going to be, the Anchamama would be rebranded. My fear, well, first of all, I was excited, right? Yeah. Uh, but my fear was, is that it would just be a symbolic act and just a trickle. Yeah. But, but now it really feels like a fast train coming. And, and, and symbols matter. So for people to say, oh, it's just a symbol, whatever. No, 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 no. Symbols matter. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I've watched and participated in, in this most recent incarnation of, of the social justice movement. And for the first time in a few years, I really am excited. Yeah, they make mistakes. That's life, <laughs> yeah. right? But what yeah. they are showing is a passion uh, and a desire so that maybe, and now I'm going to sound corny, maybe one day we <laughs> can be that city upon the hill. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I will say it's looking, you know, it, it can look, you know, there's still battles to face and there's still, but I am like, right. kind of like you, more proud to see that there are people out there who are fighting for this, you know, equality and still like, yeah, yeah we still have to say fighting for equality, but I am yeah. proud to see all those people out there supporting this movement, you know, both in the community and the allies. So it's like, yeah, keep up the good work. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> Well, I've enjoyed chatting with you. I, yes. I'm a, I, I apologize for not letting the not letting you two get get a word in. Um, <laughs> I was so excited about the whole Lovecraft. I was like, yeah, "Good, my life has finally made. I, I made it. I made it." <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Someone actually asked me about a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, then we might have to have you back for a horror movie discussion then. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know where to find me now. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been really great speaking with you. Thank you. And you guys have a good day. All right. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.